Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week, and we'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our hot takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news digest. This week, we'll look at brain-inspired computing, privacy, Clearview AI, and more tumult at Google. A new project aims to use human brain cells on microchips to push the boundaries of AI. As The Independent reports, a team led by scientists at Aston University hopes to combine the power and adaptability of the human brain with traditional electronics. The researchers believe this combination will dramatically increase the ability of computers to help us solve complex problems, and has a potential to break through current limitations of processing power and energy consumption. This latest venture in the emerging field of neuromorphic computing has been awarded 3.5 million euros in funding from the European Commission. Next, if you've heard about facial recognition apps like Clearview AI, you might want to find out if anyone's used your data. As the New York Times reports, researchers have built Exposing.ai, an online tool that helps you do just that. The tool matches images from online photo sharing service Flickr and allows users to search image collections for their old photos. Flickr allows users to share photos under a Creative Commons license, which allows others to use those photos with certain restrictions, although these restrictions may have been ignored. Yahoo, which owned Flickr in 2014, used many photos from the service in a computer vision dataset. While the tool helps us learn about violations of our privacy, there are plenty who want new norms, policies, and laws to prevent mass collection of personal data that makes such tools necessary in the first place. In more news on facial recognition, Canadian authorities recently declared that Clearview AI needs citizens' consent to use their biometric information. According to the New York Times, the app is no longer welcome in Canada, and the country's privacy commissioner has stated that the company should delete Canadians' faces from its database. As previously reported, Clearview scraped more than 3 billion photos from social media networks and other public websites to build its database. The Commissioner Daniel Therrien and three regional privacy commissioners in Canada began an investigation into Clearview a year ago, finding that dozens of law enforcement agencies in Canada have used the app. Now, authorities in Australia and the UK are jointly pursuing another inquiry. Clearview plans to challenge the determination in court, but the commissioners are pushing on with a letter telling Clearview to cease offering its services in Canada. And finally, Reuters reports that an engineering director and software engineer have quit their jobs at Google over the recent dismissal of Timnit Gebru. Director David Baker resigned after a 16-year tenure, citing Gebru's exit as indicative of Google's ignoring marginalized voices within its walls. Software engineer Vinesh Kanan left citing Google's mistreatment of Gebru and April Christina Curley, 
a recruiter who said she was wrongly fired last year. Google declined to comment when Reuters reached out, but has pointed to statements that it aims to restore employees' trust after Gebri's departure. These resignations come among demand for commitment to academic freedom in Google's research organization and the formation of a union among Google workers. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had the summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news with two AI researchers. One of them is myself, Sharon, a fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as to medicine. And with me is my co-host... Hi there, I'm uh, Andre Kornikov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning in my research. And uh, yeah, we're going to do our usual thing of talking about news articles this week. Kind of a fairly traditional slate, a lot on facial recognition, unfortunately, but uh, sometimes that's the case. And we can dive straight into our first one from technology review. Uh, this is how we lost control of our faces. Pretty intriguing article. It's about a new study that looks at 130 facial recognition data sets from over 43 years. And that, um, yeah, but uh, finds that among these data sets lately, there's more and more data that's being gathered without people's consent. Uh, there's been a lot of data that's just scraped from public uh, photographs, such as from Flickr, uh, and as we get to these million, millions of images, which is what is the norm now for data sets, um, yeah, privacy is being ignored. And as well, there is uh, kind of messy data that uh, includes racist or sexist labels or have inconsistent quality and lighting, which actually can mean that they have failure modes that are pretty problematic, such as leading to false arrests, we've, which we've talked about before. Um, yeah, and it has a good number of other details looking over sort of the history uh, of uh, these data sets and um, discussion of different examples, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, what did you make of it, Sharon? Yeah, so a lot of these data sets uh, come from academia or even from uh, a lot of large companies to help spur on research. Uh, but also there are data sets spurred by the U.S. Department of Defense, the DOD, who, who has uh, actually put in $6.5 million into creating um, a large-scale face data set. Uh, and this is largely for uh, identification um, and they captured, I think, around over 14,000 images of nearly 1,200 individuals. Uh, and this was actually a pretty old data set, one of the first of that scale in 1996. And so since then, we've seen just far, far more people scraping data from all over the place, 
namely Flickr, and using it for all sorts of things. And, and people don't know, you know, you don't know if your your photo is actually being used or not. Maybe when Stylegan generates an image and you think, oh, that looks like someone I know. Maybe that actually is recovering a photo of someone you do know. So it is, uh, it's, a, it's a bit, I would say it's a bit concerning uh, given how crazy the data collection has gotten and how messy it is. Exactly. Yeah. And we've talked about this over and over, maybe even last week, but in general, as we've moved into deep learning, uh, as we de facto uh, tool on AI, uh, data sets have become more and more important. And as a result, we're seeing more scrutiny. And again, that's sort of the nice part is uh, we do have uh, these emerging researchers who are thinking about these issue. Uh, in this case, this was Deborah Raji, a fellow at Mozilla, uh, who published this paper looking at all these uh, data sets. And so, yeah, it's it's a good thing that now there are people that are scrutinizing it, and that's leading to articles by reporters that are making it sort of more known that this is happening. And perhaps, uh, as we've discussed before, in the future, there will be better practices around privacy and consent. Right, absolutely. And that brings us to our second article titled, Here's a Way to Learn if Facial Recognition Systems Use Your Photos. This is in the New York Times. And so there's this tool built by researchers called Exposing.ai, and it's a site that you can go on and you can search whether your your photo is in any of these large uh, face data sets. And so the largest face data set is over three and a half million photos, uh, a lot of them scraped from Flickr. Um, and that one in particular was made by AI researchers at the University of Washington in 2015 called Megaface. And while it's been taken down uh, from their official site, uh, I'm sure it's still lurking in all sorts of places. And it's definitely lurking at exposing.ai in particular since they're able to search it for your for your uh, actual photos so uh, this is an interesting hopefully like counterpoint of getting people to actually see if their photo is in any of these data sets of course taking it out of that data set would be challenging given how how many times some of these data sets have been mirrored um yeah what are your thoughts yeah, this is cool. Uh, we haven't seen something like this, I think, until now, exposing that AI, you know, trying to help people uh, deal with privacy, uh, building on the uh, thing we discussed uh, just before of uh, a lot of scraping going on. And if you go to their website, it's, it's pretty neat. They have a set of data sets that they are able to um, check against. So there's Dive Face, Face Scrub, Mega Face, as you mentioned, VGD Face. Um, and they're working uh, to actually add new data sets. So it seems like this is a, kind of an early effort uh, made with support from uh, Mozilla. So Mozilla is really stepping up to look at these sort of privacy problems. Um, yeah, there's not much to say, I don't think, except that um, it's neat that there's efforts like this that are sort of 
pushing people to be a bit more considerate of privacy and, and a bit more aware, I guess, of the possibility that their face is in one of these data sets. Right. And I think one thing that is striking and is kind of the buildup of all of this. So we mentioned it was messy and everything, but the buildup is, oh, you know, these AI researchers at these universities and tech companies needed a data set. And so they scraped uh, all sorts of public sites, but those sites and potentially not sites either. So they scraped photo sharing services like Flickr, which you've been hearing about now a lot, but also, you know, social networks like Facebook, and maybe you're not that surprised there, but also like dating sites like OkCupid, and then also cameras installed on college uh, quads. And so it's interesting that it spans so many different areas. And at a glance, I mean, when you see it all, it's, it's kind of crazy, but at a glance, it seems you know, at the very beginning, kind of harmless, just trying to get together a data set. And technically all those photos are public anyways. But then, of course, like as that data set gets amassed and then used, and then I think for Megaface, it's been downloaded more than 6,000 times and by a lot of different governments or different companies uh, that do surveillance. And so it, it gets a little bit more tricky, I would say. Um, and then the fact that consent wasn't part of it, it, but you can kind of imagine what the buildup would be like, right? The very beginning when they're not thinking about these things at all. And they didn't even think, maybe they didn't even think AI would even be big at that time. And so it, it really does showcase like, oh shoot, now how do we, how do we go back now that we've done things the way that we probably shouldn't have, especially when so many different organizations now have both used it, shared it, and have copied that same method and done it again. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that sort of in the early days when we didn't have, you know, much idea, I suppose, of how things would go and, and um, researchers really were looking for techniques to be able to scale up. Um, these practices were kind of used as uh, maybe the only thing they could think of or were capable of. And uh, kind of similarly, uh, also ImageNet, you know, uh, this pivotal data set was also created by scraping and uh, crowdsource labeling. And there as well, there, there have been found issues with the labels and the quality. So, uh, yeah, as you say, it's interesting that some of these early practices for building data sets have sort of stuck around, unfortunately. And uh, probably I would imagine now when academics set out to build a data set, they're a bit more aware of, you know, um, restrictions to sharing it to maybe only other academic institutions for research. Certainly, there's a lot of companies out there that could use uh, these data sets for commercial purposes. And I imagine that now academics are more aware of that and a little bit more aware of use cases and, and issues. So, um, yeah, hopefully seeing such scrutiny, uh, not just in a paper, but also in a stool will sort of remind people to be more considerate. Right. Absolutely. 
Speaking of being more considerate, or perhaps lack thereof, the next article from BBC is titled Amazon Faces Spying Claims Over AI Cameras in Vans. And so Amazon has been using cameras that are AI-powered in their delivery vans, mainly to see if their drivers are making any mistakes and to record them during the whole process. And Big Brother Watch in the UK is definitely on this one and just feels like Amazon is, again, going into surveillance, stepping over surveillance boundaries uh, and being generally distrustful of their workers. Absolutely. Yeah. Their, you know, the defense of Amazon is that they're investing in safety across their operations. And this is to keep the drivers safe. But I think if if I were working there, I would feel like, you know, I'm constantly being watched. And I'm sure, you know, Amazon is very data driven. So I'm sure this is somehow being used to evaluate the worker and you know, somehow uh, this can get back to them uh, in a negative way. I'm not sure if, if there's a way to do this in a more, you know, safe fashion. It does say that um, the cameras only upload footage for 16 actions like handbraking, uh, driver distraction and drowsiness. So that's maybe the only silver lining here is the cameras don't constantly uh, upload things, but rather specifically for possibly unsafe behavior. So I, I, I can give Amazon credit for at least doing that and, uh, you know, seemingly living up to the idea that this is mainly to monitor safety, which there is an argument for. Um, but still, yeah, it feels oppressive and, you know, kind of builds on our ever increasing sense in modern times of being watched and uh, quantized and, and yeah, being constantly surveilled by algorithms and, and having this on your job certainly doesn't help. Right, right. I I mean, I think there are ways to roll things out where, you know, or I think they're trying to claim that they're trying to make the drivers more safe or something like that. Um, but I can see how that is a very gray line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, I could see a case for Amazon being in a right in some to some extent. Certainly in the past, we've seen examples where companies were not sufficiently careful, uh, you know, Uber, for instance, with their self-driving car technology, a severe crash. But yeah, uh, hopefully, you know, um, this won't be expanded to more uh, surveillance, which as I guess is a problem. Once you start, maybe you will get worse. But uh, on to our last article, and finally, something not having to do with facial recognition, something that's a little more of an overview from VentureBeat. AI in healthcare creates unique data challenges. Um, so yeah, it's, I found it kind of interesting that uh, it mentions that with the passage of the Affordable Care Act, uh, which mandated that healthcare pro- 
practitioners adopt electronic records, there's now a wealth of digital information about patients and practices when before there wasn't much. And um, that, of course, links to, as we've discussed, AI, where a lot of da uh, data is typically required. But as we've also discussed, uh, these data sets can really be problematic from a perspective of privacy, collecting data from many people and uh, for uh, medicine, uh, for healthcare in particular, there is moral concern about um, privacy and, and not kind of leaking information from people. Now, um, in 2019, the Wall Street Journal reported that there is uh, a project Nightingale, which was Google partnering with this group Ascension, uh, the nation's second largest health system, to collect personal health data of tens of millions of patients for the purposes of development of AI. Um, and also separately, uh, Google maintains a 10-year research partnership with the Mayo Clinic that uh, grants at least limited access to anonymized data, but still, uh, you know, data. So, yeah, as we see more and more um, AI for healthcare, it's, I guess, going to be a similar case of wondering how much anonymity is enough, uh, how much are we willing to accept uh, for the development of AI and, and things like that. Um, do you have thoughts on this topic, Sharon? One thing that I found was striking about this article was that they found in a survey by KPMG uh, that 91% of the people who responded predicted that AI could increase patient access to care while 75% of those who responded believed that AI could threaten patient data privacy. And I just thought that was really interesting that most people probably, and there's probably a good overlap there. And so a lot of people, most people, I would have to say, uh, believe that AI can be both good and bad. And they know this and they know this going in. And I think this is really interesting because it's no longer this hype of like, AI is only going to be good or is awesome. Look at this thing that's going to be super transformative. It's also like, we think it's going to be transformative. We also know that there are serious costs to it. And I find that like a really amazing shift in how people are thinking through things and how people know it's a double-edged sword uh, and are not just black and white about it. And so um, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's good. And uh, I am surprised by the respond responses because I thought it was only people who are in the know who felt that way. But I, I think it's everyone now, or it's starting to be more and more people. Exactly. And, uh, I think we've discussed, uh, cases, um, before of, uh, studies that found that, um, commercialized systems uh, actually performed worse for some types of people than others, right? Um, that had to do with race and also where you lived. So um, that contributes to another issue that this article highlights, which is bias. Um, now, um, 
it's very possible to train your AI model for a limited data set and get a result that only works in some cases, right? And with the difficulty of procuring data, uh, it's hard to say how often this is likely to be the case. Um, so as we discussed before, it seems like for commercial applications and, and for healthcare applications in general, transparency and the ability to test uh, these systems for robustness before trusting them and things like that are pretty much necessary. So certainly, uh, yeah, there's going to be need for looking over bias, for evaluating any techniques, and of course, things for privacy. And this article provides, I would say, quite good overview of all of those uh, issues that are specific to healthcare. Right. It is definitely a very good overview over all of those things, uh, but it, doesn't, it gives a good breadth. So please take a look if you're not familiar with them. <laughs> and with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review if you like the show. Be sure to tune in next week.